Hey guys, welcome to episode nine of the JV Club. It's episode nine, right? I honestly did not check before I said that, but I'm pretty sure it is. Uh, with the offices, Angela Kinsey. I think this was the second or third episode I recorded. I was still kind of finding my way. Um, Paul Gilmartin recorded it for me at Angela's home. And it's a little bit more of a straightforward interview. Um, to be honest, I was so completely fascinated by Angela's childhood in Indonesia. I, I didn't gab about myself or joke about stuff as much as usual. So for those of you who wish it was uh, more guest, less Janet, this is the episode for you. And um, although I should warn you all, you will get a bevy of yes, uh-huh, and mmms, uh, a lot of, lot of lot of that kind of feedback from old JV. Um, a quick shout out to some listeners who uh, Gave some great feedback and uh, and said some kind things on Twitter. Um, big, big, big thanks to my sweet, sweet Heather. You know who you are. Uh, Julieta Carissa. I hope I said that right. It's such a beautiful name. Carissa? Uh, Jessica, Janelle, Emily, Susan, Starbuck, and uh, T. Earl Gray. The only gentleman getting a shout-out in this particular week's episode, but... Uh, more shout outs to the, to the gents in times to come. Um, and actually thanks to all the guys who said that they, uh, still wanted to listen to the podcast, even after Jessica St. Clair and I talked so much about Calico bolts. Um, <laughs> oh, I also wanted to tell you guys about the web series that is coming out on Yahoo on June 4th. Um, if you Google it, if you Google it, it's called Burning Love, and it was written by Ken Marino and Erica Oyama, and it was done for Ben Stiller's Red Hour Film Production Company, and Ben Stiller is in it, and it, uh, such an amazing cast of women uh, is, uh, is slash are in it that, uh, that I don't even want to try to name them all because there's like 15 amazing, funny women. You know them. You love them. Um, give it a Google. There's a trailer floating around out there. Keep your eyes peeled. It's one of the most fun things I've ever worked on. It's actually the thing that I worked on with Natasha Legero that she and I talked about, uh, doing together on, uh, on that particular episode of the podcast. Uh, and last of all, you guys may have noticed on Twitter that I'm opening up my upcoming podcast with Jen Kirkman for listener questions. So, um, tweet those over to me if you want and, uh, and we'll read as many as we can on the podcast. I'm going to kind of have it be just a listener generated, um, podcast that, that this next time. And we're recording that, um, on Saturday. So uh, if you want to try to get something to me, um, today, tomorrow, and then I, I kind of have to be done by Saturday morning. So there's that. Um, wow. This is a really long intro. Thanks for hanging in and, uh, enjoy the marvelous Angela Kinsey. Now entering nerdist.com. Hey, this is the JV Club. I'm Janet Varney. I am here with the wonderful Angela Kinsey. Thank you. Um, and she is Angela on The Office. I am. And uh, we have known each other kind of in the comedy community for uh, here in Los Angeles since pretty much since I got down here. You're one of the people, you may not remember this, but you're one of the people that I met pretty fast because I was sort of popping around the IO West, mm -hmm. which is short for Improv Olympic, which is... Um, a great uh, improv school and theater yeah. in LA. And that's sort of the world that you came out right. of. I was performing there. I pretty much was like, I would do any show. Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just give me on stage. Yeah. Not a huge audience Sunday night at 11. FYI. Yeah. I've, Maybe that's changed. Yeah. I don't know that it has. I've done mm -hmm. a, a few shows there and I feel like sometimes, mm -hmm. but you know what? Weirdly, sometimes the best shows I've done have been like the audience know, of two I people know. who are just going to be on board for yeah. whatever you do because they are there to support so excited gosh darn it dag nabbit but now that's where the similarities kind of end in terms of when we go backwards towards being a kid and being a teenager and talking about our crazy dorky teenage experiences you um were born i think you were born in the south where you're yes i was born in louisiana mm -hmm. in lafayette Lafayette, Louisiana. Lafayette, Louisiana. Um, and then right around my second birthday, we moved to Jakarta, Indonesia. 
See, now yeah. that, let's take a That's moment. That's when things get weird. when things yeah. get, I can't relate to that at all, but mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by it. And um, and I'm, I would love to hear uh, how and why. My dad's a drilling engineer, and uh, there was an oil company that he was recruited by, and we went there. And my mom thought he was crazy. It was like, you know, in the 70s, and my mom was from a small town in Texas, yeah. like, like living in this in the south and she's like we're going where why <laughs> are you serious <laughs> sure and then i had three older sisters and you know she loaded up her girls how old were the other girls well here's the thing i was kind of a surprise baby okay i say surprise my mom says a miracle there you go god's miracle because that's what go. moms do they put god's that great spin on things well they wouldn't um, love you otherwise i know they wouldn't know. love you I at thought all i was an accident no you were not mm-hmm. God's miracle. So, but um, my sisters are much older than me. So I had two in, I had one in college and two in high school. And then me at two years old when we moved to Indonesia. And and so the one in college did not go, but the two in high school did. She came for the summer and she was like, this is where you guys live. This is crazy. Oh my gosh. Yeah. What was it like? uh, What was the, what was the area that you were living in? Like, was it really rural? Was it really metropolitan? No, it's a huge city. Mm -hmm. Just think of like moving to Los Angeles, but the um the difference between incomes was so vast so you would yeah. be at a red light and there would be a mercedes next to you and then um a guy in, uh driving a bechak and the bechak oh is gosh. you've probably seen it in movies and stuff but it's like someone who sits behind a little seat and they pedal you around yeah, town yeah yeah so there'd be a bechak driver and then there would be um homeless people begging for money all at one intersection you know yeah. So it was always like, I was very aware at a young age that there were a lot of people who had nothing. Yeah. Because I saw it all the time. Yeah. Which I try to tell my three-year-old daughter in LA. It's hard to, it's, see, it's so much through. more isolating in Los Angeles. It's really, you, you would literally have to take her and drive her downtown and drive her around. I've become a cliche to her. Like if she, like I try to get her to eat a vegetable and she like flicks it on the ground. I'm like, do you know there are little kids who have no food in the world? I have witnessed it firsthand. Mm-hmm. I'm not just that mom who's saying it vaguely. And then my friend's like, Ange, you're kind of going dark with her kind of early. I'm like, no, that's no, the real not. world. No, you're not. I, th- I have tremendous respect for you having had that experience and it having left that kind of an imprint on you. And I I would never, I don't think anybody would question that you're a, a better, more spiritually rich person. And so, and so you grew up living there, obviously... It's incredibly different from living here. Um, What was it like for you living there, maybe a little taste of your childhood there, and then when you found out when you were 14 that you guys were moving back to the States, what was that like? I did not want to move back to the U.S. Um, The only world I knew... Did you remember? You didn't remember it at all, No, we would come home in the summers. you would? Okay. Uh, We would come home um, when I got older. When I was younger, we stayed there pretty much straight for a few years. But then we would come back and we would go to Louisiana and Texas. Mm -hmm. And, um, And then also, kind of oddly enough, we'd go to Singapore and Hong Kong. And sometimes Japan. So I had these very fun summers, but I always had about four weeks in the U.S. Uh-huh. Two in Texas, two in Louisiana. I'd go to a family reunion. I'd make a mud pie. <laughs> you know, I'd like have a sparkler on 4th right. of July, homemade right. popsicle. It was great. Great place to visit. Yeah. Did not want to move here. Yeah. And, I, and the only reason why I didn't want to move here is I just didn't know it. Yeah. I didn't understand what it would be like to live here. And my all my friends, you know, that's the hardest thing about moving when you're a kid is yeah. that your social world, your friends is so important to you. Yeah. And so I really cried. I didn't want to go back. I begged my mom and dad if I could stay in Indonesia and live with a family mm-hmm. friend and finish out high school. My mm. mom was like, absolutely not. I'm not leaving you in Indonesia <laughs> for, you know, four years. Yeah. And so we moved to the U.S. And then my school in Indonesia, I was ahead in a few subjects. That's the other thing in America. We are really forgetting our public school system. Yeah. It's really sad. Yeah. Um, so I come back to the U.S. And we moved to Dallas. And the first part of the day at my school, I was at a middle school, which was 7th, 8th, and ninth grade. Mm-hmm. And then my mom would came and picked me up. So that made me a huge dork already. <laughs> my mom picked me up at lunch. Uh, I didn't get to eat lunch in the cafeteria and meet people. Oh, I she ate picked lunch, you up at lunch with my mom. <gasps> and wow. she drove me to the high school, which was just 10th, 11th, and 12th graders. Yeah. And then I finished the day at the high school. Oh, that's yeah. so confusing. So horrible. When you're trying so, to acclimate anyway. Uh, I'm new to the U.S. My oh, first year, no. I'm new to two schools. No. And at both schools, I'm a freak. What's up? 
This is why I'm in oh, comedy. Oh, bless Because what heart. do you do? You either yeah. turn like dark and scary. Yeah. Or you just make fun of you it gotta all. You got to protect yourself and, somehow. Yeah. So then I'm at a 10th and 11th and 12th grade, huge school in Dallas, 5A. That's as big as they get. It's like a community college. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, the people that were the nicest to me at the high school were the burners. Okay. <laughs> like, all right. The people sitting outside having a smoke. Yeah. Um, they were just like, what is your deal, man? <laughs> you want to hang out? And I was like, sure. And um, I was really like uh, straight laced. and You were? Oh, yeah. I like... I didn't get into a lot of mischief because my sister Tina yeah. got into a lot of mischief. And I think if you have an older sibling that kind of gets in a lot of Claims trouble, that. you just don't have any interest. It's yeah. like, oh, I just don't feel like having mom and dad yell at me because I snuck yeah. out, whatever. Yeah. And you, yeah, think, you're watching the experience of the mm-hmm. bad stuff and you're not experiencing personally the yeah. f- quote unquote fun stuff that might make it worth it or yeah, whatever. Totally. I just saw like the arguments and the fighting. Yeah. And yeah. Getting, grounded all the time and so I became incredibly honest with my parents I was Mm -hmm. like hey um so I think I'm gonna go hang out with these guys and gals tonight at a party they're older than me and they might be drinking and doing stuff but I don't really want to do any of it yeah my mom would be like what (laughs) instead of my sister should I go with you yeah Yeah. so um and then I would like call my mom from there like hey mom (laughs) this is pretty lame yeah I'm not into it not into it come get me but you were from but you did be kind of become friends with like your when you settled in a little bit more god I'm just having trouble imagining a whole the period of time Mm -hmm. that you were how long did you say you were doing for a year and then a year of going to two different schools well, we moved in December, so I guess it was the latter end of yeah. um, ninth grade and part of, and then tenth grade, I was at the big high school. Uh-huh. But the, it was hard being at the big high school, being in ninth grade, because there was no one my age. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and then I missed all the pep rallies and after school stuff at the with kids my age at yeah. the middle school because yeah. it happened after school, and I'd be at the high school. So then um, we did that, and then my dad decided, because he'd been transferred by this big company, my dad decided to go into business for himself and move us to guess where? Where my grandparents live, the town of 1,800 people called Archer City, and they have a farm there. Listen, I had only ever lived in a huge city my whole life. Jakarta, huge Huge. city. Dallas, big city. So I'd been to my grandparents' farm, you know, to visit. Right, right. So my dad sat us down and was like, I'm not happy in Dallas. I'm not happy. You know, I wasn't really happy with this big move that we did. The company is different here. I want to go into business for myself and be a drilling consultant. I can live anywhere. And where I want to live is on the land that we own in Mm. North Texas. Mm. And I was like, so wait, you want us to move again? And he was like, yes, to Archer City. And at this point, I just went, fine. Fine. I was like, seriously, Dad, I can live in Timbuktu and I'll find my way now because I just went through this hell year. Yeah. My mom said that um, she would drive me that first year where I was going to two schools. She would drive me to school and I'd cry on my way to school. And then she would let me out and she said she'd cry on the drive back to our house. No. It was a tough year. Yeah. Well, how did so? Did you feel like? I mean, you you talked about the people who were nice to you and the guy the burners that were smoking and stuff. Yeah. Did you make? I mean, if you were willing to just go and move onto the farmland, it sounds like maybe you didn't even, did you have, a, did you manage to make any close like, girlfriends? I or? didn't. I actually, in, in um, Dallas that whole year, I was just like this weird satellite outside of the mm-hmm. community mm-hmm. of school because I was not really at either yeah. school. So I didn't form any huge bonds with anyone there. Did you take it any was, classes that you were excited about, like theater or no? Uh-uh. Didn't even get in. You just kind of got through. Yeah, I just got through. Mm-hmm. I just was like putting one foot in front of the other, and I kind of checked out and was like a little numb there. Yeah, and um, and it was hard to make friends because I wasn't. I was never at either school during like very social times. Yeah, um, and so. I just hoped that once that year was over and I was at one school, things would change. Yeah. And then we moved. Yeah. And what was interesting is um, um, I'm, I moved to the U.S. and I just wanted everyone to like me. And at my school in Indonesia, I was just myself, mm-hmm. you know, and I had this straight stringy hair. I was kind of like a beach girl. We didn't like in Indonesia, like it was kind of that beach vibe. Like you didn't curl your hair and wear a lot of makeup. Mm-hmm. And I got to the U.S. and in Dallas Oh, Everyone had big what hair and lots switch. of makeup. I know. So I went crazy with big hair and makeup. <laughs> this will make them like me. I'll fit in now. <laughs> and then um, 
when we moved to Archer City for my junior year, I just, I went back to not caring. So I was like, I don't care anymore. Yeah. That last year sucked and I cared way too much and I'm just going to be me again. So like I actually ended up just having a great time in this small town. I think because I just wrote it off and thought I'm just going to be me. Nothing can be as bad as last year. Nothing can be as bad. Exactly. And then I went there and I loved, I made great friends that are still friends of mine to this day. And I was a hundred percent fish out of water. Yeah. I didn't know what a rodeo was. <laughs> I did not have a driver's license because in Indonesia we couldn't drive. Yeah. That was the other thing. You know, you move to the US and everyone knows how to drive. Like they kids learn how to drive so young here. Yeah. Um, especially in farm country, because they will drive a tractor or sure. a pickup truck on the farm and there's nothing they can hurt or run into. Right. Um so all those people knew how to drive and they just took me in and just like I was different and they loved it because they were so tired of everything being mm-hmm. the same in this small town. Nice. So yeah. And so is that, did, did, is that when you kind of got into, did you get, when did you get into performing? I guess is my oh, question. Well, I did that all along. Like you did. when I was four years old, my mom asked um, me what I wanted to be. She'd asked my sister, my sister said a dump truck driver. Nice. Um, yeah, I know. My and uncle, since that was taken yeah, by your sister, you taken, couldn't do my that. My uncle at the time was driving dump trucks, and she thought that Fantastic. was rad. She saw one so while we specific. were home. While we were home for the summer, she just thought it was really cool. <laughs> so um, I said at four, I said Carol Burnett. Like oh, I just knew. There just it is. Knew. Yeah, and I think that's like one of the coolest gifts that I've ever been given. You know, whether you believe in God or not, but it's um to me to know very early on what I wanted. Yeah, because I saw. Um, one of my sisters sort of keep changing her mind as life has gone on, even yeah. now into adulthood. Yeah. And starting over is hard. And yeah. every time you do, you're just sort of searching for yourself. Yeah. And I think when you know so early on, the things around you can change and the people can change, but you still know yourself and your core and what you want. Yeah. And that's what I wanted. I wanted family and I wanted to perform. That's awesome. So I was the kid in the neighborhood in Indonesia. Like I would write little plays or skits and I would make my friends or my dad or mom be different parts. And then when we got to the U.S. to Dallas that year, that was so like crappy. Even though I was at two schools, I did Greece at the middle school mm-hmm. and I did um, I did like a talent show at the um, – High school, which was horrifying. I I did like a monologue from like a <laughs> serious play. Like I'm already an That's outsider. That's what teenage kids mm-hmm. want to hear totally. is a serious monologue. Yeah, at I a did some monologue show. while everyone Horrible. else was probably like busting oh, a no, move no, and no, like what being it was, wacky. Was like, I also um, had the body of like like a two by four plank of wood. You know what I mean? Like I was just a stick. Yeah, <laughs> no curves. I mean, if I cut my hair short, I'd look like a boy. Like Ugh. I was such a skinny string bean. And um, so I'm in this talent show and I do like some <laughs> monologue and they're girls like dressed like Britney Spears, sure. like singing and dancing. And I'm yeah. like, and now for my monologue. Oh. When in disgrace and fortune oh. in his eyes. <laughs> like some Did you think sonnet. about that going in when you made the decision to do it? Did you have the moment of like, I wonder if this is going to fit in with what else everybody else is doing? Or are you just like, this is going to be no, gold. No, I, I was taking like a drama class and my drama teacher was like, she was in charge of the talent show and she wanted to round it out. And she was like, Angela, that monologue you did in class is so good. You should do it. Ah, silly, <laughs> silly adult talking me into it because she's trying to make her talent show more diverse. But um, I actually like, a, I remember having this one proud moment because everyone went quiet at the end when I like had this emotional moment. Like everyone went quiet. And then I got a little bit of slow clap. You but they did thought not. I, was, I, I did. Oh, that is But classic. they still thought I was a freak. Oh, okay. It was like, oh, slow clap. Freak girl. Did slow good- clap stayed slow yes. clap. It did not erupt <laughs> into a standing it ovation. Erupt, but I got a smattering of applause. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah. But and did you do a good job? I did. Screw them. I did. I knew I did a good job because like this one jock guy who was like picking on everyone and like one of the front rows stopped and he like listened. And then he like he actually like treated me a little differently from then on. Like just like you're serious. But I wasn't. I'm like a like a total comedian. Yeah. But, but anyway, 
You you didn't want to be typecast. I didn't want to be And typecast. from an early age, you knew that you had to show that you had range. Yes, exactly. Um, but I did Just know, in case that footage ever gets out, people will oh, know that, God, what you're capable of. Thank God. Of. I was before the internet and before people filmed stuff. Right? I think about that, too. Oh, oh my gosh. So much stuff I, I did. I think about I'm that so, so many times out in L.A., like some ridiculous oh, yeah. stuff Danielle and I did in sketch shows. Yeah. <laughs> Although I do think there's footage somewhere. Oh, I'm scary. sure there scary. is. Um, can I, you know what, can we just jump back really quickly? Because yeah, if I were listening to this, I would want tea. to know, please don't do that. <laughs> please don't do that. Angela, please don't sip that iced tea. Too late. <sighs> All right. I don't know how we're going to bounce back from this. Um, Where are you going back? I, uh, well, I just want to, if I were listening to this, I, uh, I would have wanted to know a little bit, just a little bit more about the diversity of your school in Indonesia. Where, because I know that you spoke, mm-hmm. obviously, Indonesian mm-hmm. in addition to English. Was it uh, an all-English speaking school? Was it, were you, wh- where were you learning the language and using it? And where were you using English? This is a very good question. Thank you. Um, so in Indonesia at the time, um, the government actually had a rule that if you were a non-speaking, uh, if you're an expatriate, that you, um, as a child, you had to take Indonesian mm-hmm. starting, I think it was in fourth grade, mm-hmm. which I think is awesome. I think we start our language programs way too late. Um, the rest of the world speaks a lot of languages, you know, Absolutely. like if you go to Europe or anywhere else. Yeah. So at my school, starting in fourth grade, I was taught proper Indonesian, but I had already been living there for a long time. Yeah. And whenever you live in another culture, you just pick up. I knew a lot of the street language, um, which when I then started taking classes at school, um, my friends and I that had been there since like we were little, we were fluent, but we drove our teacher crazy because we were fluent in such street slang. Yeah. So she was always honest. Like, for example, there's a word that means no, and it's tida. And that's like a proper way to say no, tida. But my, and then street slang is uh, nga. And then super street slang is like, Ngah. like you know mm-hmm, what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, mau. So like we would say, Ngah, and our teacher would be like, ah. Anyway, this is a random Indonesian tangent. but um, It's fine. It's fascinating. But we started, so we started language in fourth grade, and um, you had to study it all the way through. And then they started you on other languages um, in sixth grade. So I was all set to be starting French. I yeah. had... Three years of Spanish, and I was supposed to be starting French. Oh, that's so great! And so when we when we came to the U.S., oh my gosh. when we came to the U.S., some of my things didn't transfer, so I took Spanish four at the school in Dallas. Yeah, and then we moved to Archer City, and this is a very small. I mean, imagine very, you, imagine that's yeah. so amazing. Imagine you with your languages and your experience moving to that town. Crazy though, because I go to register for class. And I'd never been to a school this small. So the first thing I said was, um, what's my locker combination? And the woman was like, oh, we don't use any lo- any combi- lockers, don't have any locks. We don't have any. I was like, don't, what if someone takes your stuff? But like you were in school. Like, you know, I graduated everyone. with 34 people. Yeah. They just looked at me like, are you crazy? Like, I felt like I'd moved to like some very quaint Norman Rockwell sure, town. Sure. Like, and so I was like, okay, I don't need a padlock. Okay. And, um, so then I'm like signing up for classes and I go, I'll take Spanish four, please. And she looked at me and she goes, um, our Spanish only goes to Spanish two. And I said, Oh, okay. Well then I'll take French one. And she goes, we don't have French. (laughs) And I said, what do you have? Do you have German? Um, she goes, no, we have Spanish one and two. So I had tested out of the Spanish, which was crazy. Would you like to teach Spanish three? I could have, I could have because there, there was like a coach, a volleyball coach teaching it. And I was like, I was like, in the library one time where she was um I had like free period and she was like giving a quiz in the library and I was just like I know all the answers (laughs) now did you have okay so did you have uh and what about racial diversity in Indonesia all nationalities yeah Yeah, sorry I forgot about that part it was a it was called Jakarta International School and my best friends were from you know Holland and Hungary and a lot of uh, had friends from the Philippines, just all over, all over. And a lot of my childhood memories of, you know how you have memories of teasing someone? Yeah, or yeah. They don't, they don't transfer at all. And like <laughs> when I've been performing at Improv Olympic yeah. and like I'll be doing a, like a monologue or some kind that the improvisers then, you know, sure. use the material Do a for. scene off of, yeah. Um, like we were talking about like nicknames and stuff and we had a guy in my school named Ramish and he was from Pakistan and um, we thought he was incredibly hairy for a young 
guy. And so we, as kids, teased him. We called him Ramesh Rambutan. And I was like, we called him Ramesh Rambutan. Ah. And there's just silence. And like blank silence. And I go, because Rambutan is a really hairy fruit in uh. Indonesia. Uh. <laughs> and there's like silence no you know like I don't know and I didn't watch television growing up which is very like, but you I, knew Carol Burnett I knew Carol Burnett because um we would come back to the U.S. and it was like I, I oh my god just this insane drug cultural overload oh my goodness I, w- I felt like you know like um like in the fifth element yeah what is this box with pictures and then she sits there and like watches tv for hours that's what i would do my mom would get so mad at me she'd be like you're not playing outside with any of your cousins we're here to visit them and i would just be like but mom like there's 800 shows on stop being such a hairy fruit i know stop being a rambutan stop being a rambutan uh okay so if i were a boy Uh uh-huh um in, in living in Archer City uh-huh. and I met you I would think that you were the most fascinating creature who's ever walked the earth so how was that for you I mean it doesn't sound like you did too much kind of dating or flirting or cr- did maybe your crushes on people when you were um, your, when yeah in your year in Dallas I did nothing in Dallas I just was like you had really, your head down I did through. I just in the beginning I wanted everyone to like me and then within a few months I just wanted no one to notice me because mm. I was so just like mm. where am I um, when you went home at night, did you keep a journal or anything? Like, did you talk oh, to anyone about I what did. your experiences were? I did. Were? I've always kept a journal, I have yeah. to say. I Until, used to, and I somehow stopped. I always wrote, like, all through, like, high school, college, I wrote in a journal. Yeah, And even into, like, um, my early time here, I'll tell you when I stopped, is when... Um, I had a baby uh-huh. <laughs> and then I, I got like a baby journal to write down little stories about her yeah. and I try to send like a monthly email to my parents with things she said so someday I'll print them all out yeah but like that's really what um kicked me in the tush for free time was yeah. having a toddler wow I don't have that excuse I'm so impressed that you that you kept journal writing all the way up through having I mean until yeah. you had her because that's I have them all I kind of want to burn some of them because you know never what? Don't. You know, one thing you do when you're that young, or not even that young, but when you sort of write your feelings, it's also sad sacky. <laughs> you know? know, your journals are all like, oh, whoa, it was me. I love it, though. It's pretty great. I read from one of my journals that I kept when I interned on Conan O'Brien. Yeah. Right out of college. Yeah. I had. What a great memoir to be able yeah. to have. He was cracking up and he was like wanting the audience to know like, this is not a plant. This is her journal. <gasps> like I had like. I mean, like, wait a minute, to, back up. What? You kept a journal when you were at Conan and somehow he got his hands on it and trotted no, no, no. it out to the audience? No, uh, no, no, <laughs> no, like, no. He was saying like, wow, you meet with um, a segment producer before you go on a talk show. Yeah. So and when you, you came back to do yeah, it. So I said, um, you know, I still have my journal from when I worked here. <sighs> awesome. And I was like, there's some stories I can't share. <laughs> but, uh, and they were like, oh, you've got to bring that. You've got to. bring Yeah. That. So you did. Yeah. And oh, we, I read like so a little cool. excerpt where I was really excited because if you stayed late with the writers, you got free food. <laughs> nice. <laughs> No. score score free food um okay i and, and i definitely want to talk about um your time a little bit about your time in, at conan but um so let's go back to boys 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 okay, boys in, in high city. school in archer, in archer okay. city so how was that oh, you were goodness. pretty still pretty straight laced very straight laced did you um, go through so in because of your sister you never really went through the like screw you mom and dad phase i never did i never did um I think as um, much probably because of how m- your parents were older and they had gone through that as much as yeah, you seeing your sisters ex- go exactly. through that. Exactly. My parents, when I think you're the baby of the family, like when you're, I was the last of four, yeah. four girls had worn them out. A miracle. Yeah. My, but my sisters had worn them out and yeah. they were older Yeah, and older parents are mellow people. And, you, and so your desire to rebel is also yeah. going to be less because totally. you're not going to feel that stringent kind yeah. of, yeah. But my mom, my mom was tough. My dad was a pushover. My mom was tough. And um, my dad traveled a lot for work, so it was my mom and I alone a lot. So mm-hmm. we would we would bonk heads. Mm-hmm. But she had like a lot of rules. Like I couldn't have boys in my room with the door shut. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Had to keep the door open. I which feel like now, that was true for me too. Now, like that, I have a daughter. I'm like, heck yeah, the door is staying open. Yeah, I know. Um, I know what went on even when the door was open I in know. my life. Yeah. So now I would want my kid probably in the mm-hmm. living room in front of me. Totally. Um, well, I I ended up like I, I tutored like a few like athletes at, in oh, archer city so that was fun and um and i think i became like an interesting project for a few people girls and guys included like they wanted to do my hair they wanted like <laughs> all these things i didn't know like like i didn't i just didn't have any of that growing up in indonesia so yeah. like one of my friends took me 
we got my hair permed. Oh, you got it. <laughs> and perm. I had crazy wall bangs, and oh. and then um, like one of my guys. And friends, so wall bangs for for those uh, mm-hmm. young listeners who might not know, that's oh. when you're sort of straight up and curled back, like yeah, a, like a surf, like a wave mm-hmm. almost. Take your hair Backward. and spray it straight up yeah. from your forehead, yeah. and then only curled it in. Yes, I had so it. So you look like a claws on your head. Yeah. Um, and then you do it out out by your ears too. Oh, that is. So we did that and, and boys, um, I somehow became all their best friend Mm -hmm. and that kind of sucked because then when you like someone, you're everyone's buddy, you know? So that kind of happened. And then, um, I ended up my senior year dating a guy older than me. He was from my hometown, but he was, um, a junior in college. Mm -hmm. And then that made all my guy friends in high school mad. They're like, Mm -hmm. why are you dating him? So much older. How dare you? Um, and uh, and my dad, when he asked me out, he was a friend of the family. And when he asked me out, my dad said, um, I said, Dad, and I won't say his name. I was like, but he asked me out and um, and he, I really want to go. And he was like, well, if he wants to take you out, he has to come over here and talk to me. I was like, oh, Dad, are you serious? That's so lame. And he was like, sorry, he's got to come here and meet with me if he wants mm-hmm. to take you out. Mm-hmm. So I told my mom, I was like, Mom, can you believe that? So then... This guy came over, not even on the night we went out, just like had to come meet the dad. An interview, a job yeah. interview. Came in the front. And you know that like room by the front door that no one uses? Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like a fake living room. Uh-huh. I don't even know why you have it. Uh-huh. But we had the fake fancy living room oh, um, with yes. no TV in it and like yes. furniture you couldn't do anything. Like couldn't sit Furniture on. that crackles when you sit yeah, on it because exactly. it's from underuse. Uh-huh. And it's the room my mom put the Christmas tree in. So he came in and dad took him in that room. And we had a, a door to it, like a hallway door. And my dad shut the hallway door. Oh, my door. gosh. Yeah. I was like, hi. And my dad was like, we'll be with you in a minute. Shut the door. <gasps> and my mom, my mom and I were like my, trying to eavesdrop. And my mom was like walking to the door, walk, pacing back and forth by it. I don't know what my dad so said crazy. to this guy. I'll still never know. But the guy, he didn't try a thing. <laughs> like, and I only dated him a few months. And then I went off to college. Yeah. He was like a summer boyfriend. Yeah. You know. The job interview. I don't know what my dad said. But he was very proper with me. <laughs> That's amazing. He's, yeah. He was probably scared to death. Yeah, I have no idea what he said. But but I did I did have like a, like one or two high school boyfriends. But I, I sort of knew that I wanted to go to college. I knew I wanted to be an actress. I wanted to go to either New York or L.A. I knew all of this in high school. And so um, I didn't take anyone from high school very seriously. I was going to ask, like, where did you get your heart broken? But it no, sounds like you were pretty... I, I did not get my heart yeah. broken until college. Mm-hmm. And then I got it decimated. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Then I was like super ugly Oprah cry. So we're, so let's get let's get into that then. So you knew that you wanted to go to LA or New York. You went to New York. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to school? Well, I went to college went to, in Texas. Okay, gotcha, my mom, gotcha, gotcha. Um, all three of my sisters at one point dropped out of college. And then they went back to school later in life. And mm-hmm. so my mom was like, you are not dropping out I'm of college. I'm going to see this through for you. Yeah. And so my mom, her stipulation was a private religious religious uh, university. Oh, okay. Because she thought maybe there'd be less partying and mm-hmm. less reason to drop out. So um, I applied to a few colleges like that. And uh, I ended up going to Baylor, mm-hmm. which was a Baptist Oh, that's right. Baptist I didn't know university. that. I'm sorry. And I actually, I loved Baylor. I had a great time. And, um, but... Um, so I really liked this guy and we sort of um, started dating my, I had a few college boyfriends, mm-hmm. you know, but just nothing very serious. And then mm-hmm. my senior, my junior year, I met a guy and I really liked him and we started dating. He was older than me. I was a junior. He was a senior. And then he got a job that required him to travel and he left and um, mm. I would go try to visit him. But Long distance relationships are so hard, and I yeah, think no I, matter how old you are, doesn't matter how old you are. I think there's something to just having to be around each other because what happens is, um, then when you go see each other, you just you just you don't want to bring up anything serious. Mm-hmm. You just want to. We have like, to cherish this time. We yes, can't be real people. We, we have to be, be movie real. people. We have, we have, have to, to be, be super happy people. Yeah, and then sometimes like what happens is you don't talk to the person every day, so then you stop sharing your life with them. Sure, that's, that's huge. The biggest thing, like. So they don't know about your bad days or your good days. Yeah. And then when you see them, you don't know how to catch it up. Yeah. And so I think he kind of had the foresight before I did. And he just, he sort of did that thing, though, that guys do where they make you break up with him, but they just keep behaving so badly that you yeah. have no choice. Yeah. But girls were like, 
well, maybe he's doing that because, <laughs> or maybe la la la. And yeah. then finally you just don't feel valued at all. And then you just like break up with them. And then they so quickly are like, oh, well, okay. If you say so. Right. right. You're like, dang it. Yeah. You just, where's the four? Why don't you fight for me? Why yeah. don't you? Yeah. But like really he, it was over for him. Yeah. For a while. And I just didn't want to see it. So, um, that was really hard. And then he came back to college for like homecoming and um, like I didn't see he was there for the whole weekend. I never yeah. saw him. And, yeah. you know, all that stuff is really hard. Oh, that feeling, too, of a long distance relationship. And just even no matter what you're doing when you're when you're in your teens and, and early 20s, I, it just seems to me that feeling of I just feel like I had that feeling in my throat and in my mm-hmm. stomach so much more than I do now. Just the feeling yeah. of like, why hasn't he called or this this really hurts. And I don't know how to tell him that it hurts because. I don't think that's going to solve anything. Like oh, telling him that I admit that I'm crushed. You don't yeah. want to be. You don't want to be vulnerable. And then, yeah. and then, it's how scary. do you protect yourself from that? And you and, know, do you not communicate it and just hang on, or mm-hmm. do you cheat on him, or do oh, you, goodness, you know, yeah. all those different? And then you have like two or three girlfriends, and they all have a different opinion. Because like my roommate in college was like, um, "You deserve better." I would totally dump him. You know? <laughs> and then I had another friend who was like. No, he's just working really hard, you know, yeah. and you just got to give him some space. And, yeah. and then you have all those voices in your head. I was I, I was talking to a, a girlfriend of mine that I went to college with about this podcast. And she said the first thing that came out of her mouth when I told her I was doing is she said, I wish I could just time travel myself back with with the book. He's just not that into you and give it to my college self because I really think I would have benefited from it. Like, oh, that's still my a friend of mine wrote that. And and uh it's nice to know that it still resonates. Like it just, you yeah. know, it's it, it, sometimes you need to yeah. exactly what you just said about this guy and the long distance relationship. Like at what point do you realize, oh, he's just not going to do anything. Like he's right. not even going to break up with me. Yeah, He's just going to, he's just, we're gonna, not even in the same city. He's so just he can do really thing. do very minimal to maintain yeah. this relationship. Yeah. I used to say this thing all the time. I still say it to myself too, because it's still easy to get your feelings hurt and have friendships that disappoint you and sure. relationships that don't work out. I've learned even later in life. I and, know. But, I kind of um, wished all that would stop. But that's yeah, why that's another reason for the podcast is guess what? We all still stay teenagers in some way. Right. Well, we all still struggle with relationships no matter how old you are. I see my mom like my mom has a really uh, had a very close friend of hers and they've just sort of drifted apart in their 70s, you know, yeah. so it happens. But um, I um, I used to just say to myself, like, people do what they want to do. So yeah. if they want to work on it or if they want to listen to you or if they want to um, call you just because or pick you up at the airport. Like it's like people do what they want to do at the end of the day. And yeah. so it's like, well, then where's their heart? It becomes very clear. Yeah, that's actually true. Yeah. We try to, we, it's, it's, we try to protect ourselves sometimes by making it super complicated. And, right. Um, so, okay. So you went to Baylor and then you, how are we doing on time? Okay. So you, I told you. I know. Um, you, <laughs> I was like, like there's no way we can talk by. for an hour. Um, I don't think I've said anything interesting, by the way. That is absolutely <laughs> but, not okay. true. Taking uh, Paul would have fallen asleep if you weren't saying anything I interesting. I don't know. His He's eyes been very interested. Um, so, okay. So so you finished at Baylor and then you, how, what, what took you to New York? I know you wanted to be there, but did you just decide to move after college or did you get the job, the internship, and that's what moved you out or... Well, I am from my hometown is Larry McMurtry, and he's a writer, um, and he wrote Terms of Endearment, The Last Picture Show. Um, he recent, Wait, didn't James um, L. Brooks write Terms of Endearment? Did they write it together? Well, he wrote the book. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't believe that there are books. I, I, to me, there's only movies. Um, I think like the most famous one he did is... Um, uh, Lonesome Dove, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and then um, I, kn- I knew of. I, I mean, I know him as an author, but for some reason, I, I went straight to show business because I knew that's what you wanted to right, do. Right. So I was like, I, now this movie, this movie script that he supposedly wrote, I may have uncovered a big problem here. Oh no! no I, he wrote the now, book. Now I'm like, copy that. Now I'm all of a sudden like in my head. No, I'm Google sure you're right. It. I'm sure you're right. I just um, had terms of endearment the movie in my head. Now I need to Google it, honestly, because now I'm not sure. But anyway, he's a very prolific writer. Lonesome Dove is a credit enough. Well, yes. Last Picture Show. And then um, he did the adaptation of Brokeback Mountain for the screenplay. Mm-hmm. So, And he has bought up all of downtown Archer City, all these old little buildings. Oh, wow. We have the biggest rare book collection in the How Southwest. How cool is that? Yeah, so kind of wild. Like, we don't have a hospital. We don't have a real <gasps> grocery store. We have six bookstores. How 
Wow. So it's kind of funny because I feel like some of the people in our town, like they love it, but at the same time, they're like, sure, it would be nice to have a hospital. <laughs> um, but um, just read a book about how to I stop your it. heart from attacking itself. So my mom's friend um, is his sister. And she was helping him with the bookstores. And I would hang out there quite a bit with my friend Teresa after school. Yeah, Woo-hoo. you guys were rebels. I know, rocking it at the bookstore. <laughs> and Larry would come in town. And he doesn't, I know he doesn't remember this, but it's one of those moments that was pivotal for me. And sometimes people just can really just throw out like a very sort of throwaway comment mm-hmm. that will stick with you. So I'm always kind of aware of that. Mm-hmm. But I was applying for internships in LA and New York. And Larry just said to me, he goes, go to New York. He goes, because if you can make it in New York, really, you can make it anywhere. And He, he may have like, stole that copyright from someone else. I think he did. Else. And he was like, you know, you just should try New York because it's a very vibrant city. He sure was right, huh? He Being said, that, like, that's the age mm-hmm. to do it. Yeah, and he said it's a vibrant city and it's full of so much diversity. Mm-hmm. And um, he said L.A. is kind of a slick city. Yeah. And he was like, I just personally, I would go to New York first. Love and it. he said, you have all the time to go to L.A. So I did. I So I apply for this internship on Conan, and I hear no word. I call every day. I leave this message on this voicemail for the internship program on Conan O'Brien. No word. No word. No word. So then um, I have nothing but time. I've moved back home with my parents from college. I'm feeling like a loser <laughs> back in my bedroom from high school. Right. And so every day I would call um, NBC's main line, and I would ask for a different department. So I'd be like, internships, go to the voicemail. Um, like a PA program voicemail, page program voicemail. So then I called up one day and I said, um, hi, I was just talking to a woman about an internship on Conan. I got disconnected. <sighs> and this woman goes, oh, you mean, and I forget the lady's name, but oh, you mean Kathy. I'm like, yes, oh, I was talking to you Kathy. You are good. And then she was like, well, um, let me um see, you know, let me put you through. And then I got her assistant and they were like, She's on the phone. And I said, well, I was disconnected from her. I was talking about an internship. And she goes, okay, um, who did you say this was? And I was like, it's Angela Kinsey. And so she was like, okay, well, we'll um, we'll call you back. And I gave my phone number. And then uh, no one called me back. <laughs> and then so the next day, I used the assistant's name. I said, hi, I oh was talking gosh. to Regina, Kathy's Angela, assistant. You're awesome. I had to get, I could not live with my parents another second, like right out of college. I was going crazy. So <laughs> I love my parents, but you know that it is weird going. No, home. you're ready. Yeah, if you've been to college, ready, you yeah. don't. That fe- it does feel like going backwards. Yeah. I think. And I had no plan yeah. in Archer City, Texas. I had a plan that involved New York City, right? Um, but I knew my parents sort of would be really hesitant about me moving to New York without a plan. That's my dad. My dad's a big planner. Yeah. So I'd have to go and present him this plan because I was going to need some of their help financially. You know, so I had to have a real legitimate hook to yeah. get to New York. So then. Um, I I called back and I said I was talking to Kathy's assistant, Regina. So they put me through and Regina was out sick or something. She was out, whatever her name was, she was out that day. So Kathy picked up her own line. She goes, hey, it's Kathy. And I go, hi, Kathy. I was talking to Regina yesterday about an internship oh. on the Conan O'Brien show. And she goes, well, we have one on Conan available and we have one on um, for like the Today Show for the news. And... um. She was like, did you leave me a message on my voicemail? I said, I did. And she goes, and did you, you, you know, send me your resume? I said, I did. And she goes, huh? And she goes, and how did you get this number? Oh. And I said, um, well, I got your name because I called every day. And finally, I got your name. And then I just asked to be put through to you. And I lied. And she said, really? And I said, yeah. And she goes, could you come <gasps> day after tomorrow for an interview? And I said, yes, I can. Now, I'm living in Archer City, yeah, Texas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't have a plane ticket. I said, yes, I can. I said, could you make it in the afternoon? Because I'll be flying in. And she was like, <laughs> I'm sure in her head, she was like, all right, hot shot. I so love it. I got off the phone and I went downstairs to my parents. And I was like, I had gotten money for graduating from college, you know, from relatives yep. and stuff. And I said, um, I need to get a plane ticket to New York City for day after tomorrow. Oh. And my parents were like, what? And I said, mom, you can come with me or I'll go alone. And she's like, I'm coming with you. What are we doing? <laughs> so, so then I flew to New York and I met with this woman and she goes, she was like, it was very unconventional how you got through to me. And I said, I know, I'm sorry for that, but I just got a voicemail every day and I didn't feel like I was getting any movement. It's something I feel passionate about. She said, okay, you'll start, you'll start in a month for Conan. I said, great. Oh my gosh. And when I started the intern program, I noticed a lot of people there were 
friends of someone or related to someone. Well, sure. You know, so. Sure. But um, you had to be unconventional. You kind of had to. So I'm sure people so she thought impressed. I was crazy that I flew out for an internship interview. But <sighs> I just wanted to be in the world of comedy my whole life. I had wanted to do like stand up or yeah. sketch comedy. And I was writing a one woman show for myself. And I felt like in particular getting on a late night talk show and seeing a stand up every night do an opening Gosh. monologue. So that's what I did. And then I lied. I interned for a few months and then they try to pick people out of the general intern pool to be specific people's interns. And mm-hmm. then you have more access, you mm-hmm. know, you're not at the front, you know, right. getting people coffee. So they asked me, um, there were two internships that were allowed to watch rehearsals or to be down on the stage. Mm-hmm. One was the writer's intern because they would run jokes and stuff. Sure, down to Conan. Sure. And the other one was the music intern, Max Weinberg's intern. Well, the writer's intern was already taken. So they said, um, you know, we're trying to f- figure out where to put you as an assistant. You know, what do you know about music? And I was like, everything. <laughs> I love music. And not to be undone no, and not to be stopped. Not true. Not true. I'm not trying to be a proponent of Did lying. you play any instrument at all? No. Fantastic. No. And then, did you enjoy um, music? We all do. I, I do enjoy music. <laughs> Turns out we all like music. Turns out, but like I didn't know much about music. So like he, you know, Max would send me to um, SIR, which was a, a rental company yeah. for instruments, and um, I literally would go in there with a list, and I kind of flirted with the guy that worked behind the counter, like buddied up to him, and I'm like, hey, hi, <laughs> what is this? I have to get it for today. I can't be made a fool of. I must <laughs> make this work. help me. And I think it was very apparent to Max and the band that I was not the most savvy on music because like bands would come, they'd be like, oh my gosh, guess who's here today? And I'm like, huh? <laughs> what? <laughs> and it was like some famous band. And But that's amazing. I mean, just to, not to, to, to derail us here, but this is so much in keeping with what you said earlier about if you're lucky enough to kind of know what you want. Mm-hmm. I mean, the dedication that you had people, I think, I think people think of creative artistic types because there are plenty of us out there who are not like you, uh, that, that are these sort of floaty mm-hmm. poetry reading, like, I don't know, my head's in the clouds. I just know I need to make my art. Yeah. And, and they don't know, how to make that tangible. And I mean, just hearing, just hearing about your experience growing up and being in Jakarta and then being thrust back into the United States and kind of what you had to do to protect yourself and getting through that tough year and then finding your own way in Archer city. It just, you, and you talked about how tough your mom is. I mean, clearly you're very tough in the, in a great way, in a sensitive empathetic way to other people and you know you've got i i know this sounds like i'm rounding it off i'm a terrible interviewer but um that i just that toughness you know the tenaciousness is having that tenacity especially if you know you want to do this what a great combination of having that talent but saying okay this is my plan this is how i'm going to get here and being really insistent about it is so impressive i wasn't like that at all well, I think you have hills and valleys of it. Oh you know, I think we all do. It, it comes in spurts. But my mom taught me something really valuable that. Um, so I end up I'm interning on Conan and my life stream was to be on Saturday Night Live. That's all I wanted to do was be a cast member on Saturday Night Live. And I'm interning on Conan and the casting uh, that did sort of like our little extras for different skits and stuff Conan would do. He also worked um, on uh, Saturday Night Live. And as an intern, you don't make any money and. So you're really struggling. I sold my car. That's I had a car and mm. I sold it and I was living on that money. And um, so he said, Angela, do you want to make some extra money on the weekends? I said, yeah. And he goes, all right, well, I do the extras casting for Saturday Night Live. I was like, oh, my God, that's great. So I was there is footage of me like reacting to Chris Farley doing stuff. Oh my and like, gosh. So I was an extra and I got to be there for rehearsal and see those guys and then see how the show worked. And and so. I told my mom, I was like, Mom, I'm going to be on Saturday Night Live as an extra. It's not really what I wanted. And she was like, well, get more specific, Angela. Get more specific. Oh, my gosh. So, like, in my wants. So then I was like, okay. So so then I said, I want to be – Friends had come out, and I thought it was a really great show. So then I said, um, I want to be um, on NBC on Thursday nights for the comedy lineup. I want to be on a TV show. <gasps> on NBC Stop on Thursday night. Yes, I wrote it in my journal and then my friend and I we um we drove up to Mulholland when I first moved here and so we would just sort of shout into the night our want. Oh, it's I so 
hokey, it. right? No, but I love but it. So I shouted. I was like, I'm going to be so specific. So she was like, I want to find love. Happy. <laughs> and like, I want, you know, like five children. <laughs> like she was like this, like, and, um, She's about to have her third, by the way. But all right, so all right. I yell into the night sky of LA. I go, I want to be on NBC on Thursday nights on Angela. a comedy show. Isn't that crazy? Oh, Isn't that so bizarre? That's so fantastic. But I don't tell that story very often because I think like, oh, people are going to think I'm crazy. But I do think there's something You're for not women. crazy. No. People, for women, men and women to know what they want. And then, I agree. And then just don't take no. Like, I mean, you know, you obviously don't want to become a pariah and like, right. you know, offend people. But just know if it's something you feel strongly about, be prepared and do everything you can. Well, I love that idea. And I also, I, I mean, I want to ask you where... So for you, some people just are more confident than others. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I was going to say is I love that you had the humility and the the foresight to know that you could learn from being a page or from from being an intern and all of mm-hmm. that because I think that sometimes people have the drive and the ambition to be you know when you're a teen when you're in your 20s you know what you want you might know that part but you also kind of just expect that that's going to be how you get it is knowing it like right. oh i'm just gonna yeah. I, I know i want that so i want to be a cast member on saturday night live so i'll just be a cast member on saturday night live somehow that will just work out right. and 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 the and I would never be an intern. That's I wouldn't be an extra. Then they would never take me seriously as right. a da da da. Right. And so for you to have that combination too of saying, you know, no, I don't know about this, but one way I can find out is to really start from the bottom, right? And just be scrappy and fantastic and memorable and right. and learn and take that knowledge and then and then take it forward. And I think there's a there's a sort of a laziness to some ambition right. where you just go, well no, I should I'm talented enough, they'll figure it out. Right. And I think that's a mistake. And I you know what I mean? Yeah. I think the people I um have worked with in LA, especially on our show, like someone like Steve Carell, um, that I respect so much, what their combination of no ego and yeah. very hard workers. Yeah. And um, and that's like, I feel like the people that have a lot of longevity in this business is like, you can't have an ego and you have to respect everyone you work with no matter what their position. And um, and you have to be a hard worker. Yeah. You just do. Like, you know, I had friends um, and I'm sure people listening to this do too that I worked at a restaurant with and I was like, what are you doing? Like, I'm an actor. Are you in a class anywhere? Because, you know, you can't always get up on stage. I tried to just be on stage as much as I could for myself to get myself out there. Yeah. But, like, you have to be doing something. You can't just say, I'm a lawyer and not go to law school or write a single legal book. And it's the same in the creative profession, too. If you're a writer, then you write. Yeah. If you're an actor, then you're doing some casting workshop or a class. You're doing it. How do you deal with, and this this is something that I think comes up for a lot of actors and writers and, and creative people, um, not just here, but anywhere, um, The I think because maybe you're so creative and there's a vulnerability there, fear is such a big part of anyone's life and it's something mm-hmm. that we all have to kind of work through and be on a path to, I think, understand and learn to have a relationship with that's mm-hmm. not bad. Right. Um, but how, like when you were a teenager, you know, I know we talked about you kind of putting your head down and getting through um, that 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 year that was tough. But just in general, especially, again, with being creative, there was a question here, I promise. Um, how do you get past, because sometimes that, I think people get pulled back by their fear. Oh, I want to be a cast member on Saturday Night Live, but mm-hmm. what if they don't want me? Yeah. And oh, I'll just be, I'll be paralyzed by that. And I'll, I'll work at a restaurant and tell someone I'm an actor, but part of me isn't taking that casting director workshop because right. I'm so afraid of failing. Mm-hmm. What would you tell, what was your, your approach to that? And what would you tell young women who are like, oh, I want to do this, but I'm so afraid. Maybe it's easier just to not do it. Well, I, I think I sort of had this built in inside me, but my friend Rachel most recently uh, put it into tangible words that might be more helpful than my rambling. So this Rachel sort of shared this with me, but I've done it my whole life. Um, in my head, I would play out a situation mm-hmm. and I would just see where where I could see it going. And um, But how that translates into my life now is like, let's say um, I'm afraid I'll never find love again. Mm-hmm. And then I say to myself, and then what? Mm-hmm. Well, then I'll enjoy my daughter and my friends and my family. Mm-hmm. And then what? And then I'll 
have a great life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, and there's, there's always, and then what, you know, like, what if, um, you know, after the office, I don't get another TV show. Okay. And then what? Well, I don't know. I'll figure something. <laughs> Maybe I'll get a job, you know, teaching at a college. Okay. And then what? And I'll love my students. And then what? I just like say, and then what? And what happens is you take this fear and you just sort of break it down mm-hmm. and you show that that fear really has no power. Yeah. It just doesn't. And I think what I'm also hearing from you, not just not just taking the power away from the unknown exactly. of the fear, but also being able to look at it positively. I mean, everything that you've come out of, you've also had a positive aspect. I mean, somebody somebody listening to this who's very negative could say, well, yeah, if I ask the and then what question, I'll just answer and then I won't have any money and then I won't figure anything out and then right. I'll be miserable. But it, but am I right in saying that you would you would suggest, well, then you, then you might be the kind of person who's not going to be happy even if you get what you want. Well, exactly. In a sense, exactly. right? Because happiness is a choice. Yeah. It's a definite that's choice. What, I guess that's what I'm saying that, is yeah. I see you choosing yeah, to be happy through all of definitely that definitely choice now if i don't work on a tv show again will i be sad about that yeah but i better get ready and pull up you know my bootstraps as the expression goes because i have a daughter and yeah i better figure something else out you just have to people have to figure things out and um and that process doesn't have to be scary yeah i think fear you should be as comfortable with fear as you are with happiness or anger and i think a lot of times for people insecurity flips to fear yeah um, shame flips to fear. Yeah. And so if you think you're going to get made fun of, then you become fearful, yeah. right? Yep. And um, I think embrace getting made fun of. Maybe because I had to go to four high schools in four years yeah. and I got made fun of right out of the gate. I was like, okay, this is going to happen. I'm going to get made fun of. I'm short, you know, and there'll be short jokes. Bring them on. Right. I can handle them. Right. Are you tall? Or you have a big butt? Or you have funny ears? Yeah. Like, yeah. all right, dude, own it. Yeah. Yeah. Just own it and wear it like a mantle. And then no one has anything on you. It's so funny that you said that because that was the other thing I was going to say was some was body image stuff. Because I feel oh, yeah. like along with the vulnerability of being creative and the fact that that kind of doesn't necessarily ever go away no matter who you are maybe you're maybe you live in Iowa and you love writing and you wanted to write a book and you've mm-hmm. ended up being a paralegal and you're afraid to write that book and maybe right. you're an actress living in LA and you're you know in your 30s and you feel like your butt's too big that you know yeah. that that stuff doesn't necessarily go away and I know you had talked about having the that you were that you're that you were sort of small and boyish when you were in high school oh yeah um how did you work through your kind of body images and, and, and does that still come up for you? And as I said, Oh, I think as a woman, it always does. We just get a little more comfortable with ourselves. So we don't care as much, but you know, I, I had an audition, um, recently and, um, the casting director, a fan of the office, but did say to me, well, you're not, you're not like glamorous, beautiful. So like, you know, you're sort of like that quirky, and I go, oh, yeah, I know what I am. <laughs> I'm not Angelina Jolie. I'm not going to have a gun strapped to my thigh yeah. unless we're making fun of it. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, so it's like, know who you are. And But don't you think that's hard for teenage girls when you see? I mean, yes. yeah, you know, I was I was on my way to the airport and I was listening to actually listening to Paul Gilmartin's podcast, um, The Mental Illness Happy Hour. And he was talking to somebody about how they feel about you know how important it is for other what other people think of them and that it stays important like it's it's important mm-hmm. when you're a kid and in school and it through your life it can potentially stay too important you know what right. does this person think what is their opinion and i'm listening to this and we're passing this billboard for like lucky jeans or guests or something and right. i see this gorgeous 14 year old girl with this crazy body whatever yeah. that means in her underwear and just you know how sometimes subliminal messages you're more aware of them than not and i just had that moment where clear as day like someone was saying in my ear even though i was listening to that podcast i'm supposed to look like that yeah like i just heard it right and i thought oh god it's been a while since i had that concrete of a recognition about all the stuff that pours into my brain every day that i don't think about but it gets in there somewhere Mm -hmm. what do we tell teenage girls because i like looking at fashion magazines i like clothes I do i'm too. not you know i'm too. not uh, I, i'm yeah. not gonna say i mean I, i'm not ready to say to be the person to say absolutely not or no circumstances can i look at a model but if we're going to still have that 
what are we doing for right. our kids and for ourselves that makes up for the kind of the negative side of that? Right. I've thought about this a lot with my daughter. She's going to be growing up in Los Angeles and that's kind of, to me, a scary place to grow up. Yeah. But, um, I think about this all the time. Like if she sees a girl like that, like what I would try to explain to her. And like, one of the things I want to do is like, say, first of all, you know how everybody has a job, you know, if you are really strong, maybe you're great at like digging potholes because you're super strong and maybe you work in construction because you can lift things. Um, maybe you're really smart and so you're a doctor or you have great hand-eye coordination. Maybe so, you love dump trucks. Maybe you love dump trucks, Janet. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I want to, first of all, explain to her that that girl there, that is her job. And so yeah. part of her job is looking that way. And that doesn't mean like I couldn't do that job. I don't look that way. And that's very specific to someone. And I kind of want to break it down and take the mystique away from mm-hmm. it. Like I love her, that. Her job is to look like that. Um, and that's not a very realistic job, you know, but it is her job. Yeah. So I just want to try to say to Isabel, like, I really want everyone to know, like, want my daughter to know that we all bring something so specific to the table. Mm. And so, you know, maybe it's the fact that, um, you know, she's really caring. Yeah. And so what do you do with that? You use that and maybe you become, you know, a teacher or a nurse or, but, um, but when I see that girl on the billboard, she's chosen that to be her job and her job is based on her looks. Mm-hmm. And that is, um, a job that can, can't even last a very long time. Right. So it's like, and I'm happy for her and you can be happy for her, but if you don't look like her, that's okay. You know? And I, I just sort of want to break it down and be like, you know, I like that because there's so much less anger there than yeah. there can be. I think it's easy to go to a place of, and it doesn't indignance. mean that we don't want to, and we also value beauty very differently. Like, and I hope that like girls now see beauty through the ages, you know, like, yeah. and see like paintings from, Go to yeah. museums and see paintings from the Renaissance when it was actually, if you were skinny, that meant you were poor and that was unattractive. Right. Sure. But if you had a plump tush, sure. then you, were, you had money and that was considered hot. Sure. You know? So it's all about sort of our perception now. And um, I think one of the things that's great with the internet that you're seeing more people show their talents online, mm-hmm. whether it's someone just sets a camera up at their piano and plays and sings. Mm-hmm. And so I hope that like looks are just one part of it and everyone's look is different too. Yeah. I think we're having less of like, I think Christy Brinkley's beautiful, but it's that very sort of blonde, blue-eyed thing. And right. I think you're seeing less people glorified in beauty that, like, that are that type. It's mm-hmm. more of a diversity. It's more diversity, yeah. But you can't, you know, and I, I want to break down the profession because I think you pull the veil back because I'm like, well, Isabel, she had three people do her hair that day. Right. Just like how mommy has like this amazing woman do my hair for my Clairol ads. And then she had someone do makeup and then they touched her up all day long. Yeah. She kept getting lip gloss. Yeah. And then they put a fan on her Uh and made her hair blow like Uh that. Okay. And then she had someone come and, you know, design amazing clothes and then alter it specifically to fit her. How many of us can buy a jacket off a racket and it fits us exactly like an alterations person would alter it, especially for your body. And then they had someone look at her body and be like, you know what? would accent her hips more is yeah. if she wore a one piece and not yeah. a two piece. Yeah. And let's put a push up bra on her. You know, and all So and it's then, not just her job. We're thinking about the twenty five other people whose yeah. job it is just to make her look like that. And then like someone's that. like, you know what? Let's make her legs look more toned. We're gonna put yeah. makeup on her legs. And worst case scenario we can fix all of this after we Yeah, because the computer we'll put it through a computer and etch out like any little nick and scratch and so I just want her to know I like love so that. much went into yeah. that moment. Yeah. That we don't have to give it that much power. I think that's I think that's wonderful. Do you remember when um I don't know if you do, but Jamie Lee Curtis did mm-hmm. something. Remember she did like a magazine cover where yeah. she was like, don't touch it up. Yeah. You know, and she just wanted, there was, a, was such a great article and it really stuck with me in terms yeah. of the things that people do that stay with you that, yeah. I mean, I'm sure it was a big deal for her too because she really wanted to make that statement. But that moment of her saying, but it's so interesting how unusual it was. Just yeah. to, it was so unusual to have one woman say, I'm famous I don't look like this all the time. This is what I looked like before they did stuff to the picture. And mm-hmm. this is what I look like afterwards. And I need girls to know right. that's not real. Yeah. And, but I, and, and I just love everything that you said, Angela. I think that makes so much sense because it's, it's easy to sort of go to the place of just 
you know, my women's studies class in college just going, this is wrong and like tearing up it's the picture. It's not going to go away. And then, and then yeah. living in LA and being, in the, and that's why yeah. one of the reasons I wanted this podcast to be honest about who we're talking to, who I am, what I'm faced with, like what we're, I'm not the person on the mountain saying, tear up that magazine, burn this, do that. This is right. I'm living my life. I want to say to girls, to women, to women older than me, to women younger than us, we don't know. We don't have, you know, nobody has all of the answers, but to give a sense of community so that you can so that someone like you i'm yeah. gonna think about that what you just said you're gonna tell to your daughter helped me because i'm gonna see the billboard and kind of giggle to myself thinking that about the conversation people we made had. that happen absolutely yeah. and i think breaking it down like i know sometimes i listen to people and i'm like well your life was very easy your life was very privileged and there wasn't any hardships so yeah maybe you can have a positive spin or yeah. say that happiness is a choice but i have to tell you growing up overseas and then i had one of my very best friends, um, a horrible tragedy happened to her um, in the prime of her life, and she mm. ended up being uh, paraplegic. And um, and and just seeing her life as an able-bodied person with, you know, uh, a young woman, and seeing all of that change in an instant, you know, and she did not lose her outlook. She got frustrated. She got mad. Um, she had, you know, I remember visiting her one day, um, in rehab and I was like, you know what we're going to have today? We're going to have a big honking pity party. Let's do it. Yeah. And we cried and cried and we cussed and we, (laughs) you know, and then I was like, and now we got to, now we got to do something else. So it's like, and I, I, I have witnessed people go through extreme hardship in that way. And I've had some things happen in my life that were pretty sad and, You just can't let that define you. You just can't. And so you have to find something in yourself. And I think those are the people that ultimately succeed and prevail is they're like, you can't take it all away from me. I have one piece of me that's still mine. And just find yourself in that moment and not let it just say who you are anymore. Oh, I love it. So that's so wonderful. Well, I don't know, like, if any of it makes sense, Uh, but I do feel like it all makes sense. It's fantastic. I was, I'm sitting here crying. Um, I don't know how to wrap it up any better than that, Um, except that I really want you to say something in Indonesian. (laughs) Well, I think the thing I'll just leave everyone with is that that like life is going to be hectic and crazy, but if you can just find your peaceful place. And so in Indonesian, they say this thing when they say goodbye. And I think it's a lovely goodbye because it's not just like, bye, see you later. It actually means to go about your journey peacefully, like wishing someone peace. And so that is Salamat Jalan. So Salamat Jalan. Angela, thank you so much. This was wonderful. Thanks for being a guest on the podcast. Bye, guys. The JV Club theme song is Before We Were Brittle, courtesy of the amazing Say Hi. Now leaving Nerdist.com.